So if you'd like to read along, uh, you might like to turn to, to Deuteronomy chapter 23. But uh, as we get there, I, as I say, being, being fairly new to this congregation, uh, wouldn't really know uh, some of the, the nitty-gritties about uh, yourselves, such as what your, your favorite food is. My favorite food, or rather my broadly favorite food group, are, are cured meats. I, I love things like salamis, hams, prosciuttos, all of these kind of delicious things. And by what I would say is a fairly short extension, basically anything that you would find on an antipasto platter is my jam. I like that a lot. And you might say, what on earth does that have to do with the, the text from Deuteronomy uh, today? Deuteronomy, in my mind, uh, in perhaps the same way as with a, an antipasto platter, you have all these various different morsels which are all delicious and you can take them in and enjoy them. Deuteronomy has uh, a long series of, of laws and uh, some of them come in, in sections which are related. Others of them are a bit more, uh, well, even some of the, the sections that we're looking at today, uh, at least in my Bible, is entitled miscellaneous laws. So they're a little bit more uh, disjointed and not necessarily following the same theme. But I, in the same way as I, I love all of the delicious morsels in an antipasto platter, um, I have similar affections, though, I hope in a, a higher and holy way uh, for the book of Deuteronomy. There are all these wonderful laws, and what I, I love about them is that they show us what justice is. They show us what a good society is, what it looks like. Um, and my apologies, I, I haven't listened to the whole of your, your sermon series prior to now. I apologize if any of this is, is covered territory. Um, but, but for what it's worth, this is what I love about the book of Deuteronomy. You know, different, different countries, different states even within countries have alternative stances on various different issues. But ultimately, there is right and there is wrong. And the book of Deuteronomy, once again, shows us this, shows us what good is, what wrong is. And I have a, a personal opinion, which is not just shared by me, uh, but a personal opinion of the book of Deuteronomy, which is that we have, of course, the, the Ten Commandments, and these other sundry laws, for want of a better term, are perhaps individual applications of those Ten Commandments. So they apply them in a practical way in society, and hence uh, are very much, uh, with the exception of the sacrificial laws fulfilled in Jesus, uh, are very much applicable to us today, at least in their, uh, to quote the castle, in the general vibe of the thing. And appreciating that this church is not necessarily a, a strictly confessional church, nonetheless I wanted to uh, share a short section of the, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, being from chapter 19 and section 4. Uh, speaking of God's laws, it says this, it says, To them also he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution, and I think that's important, their general equity only being of moral use. The general equity is, uh, in my more colloquial version of the day, is the general vibe of the thing. The general vibe of the thing still applies 
even if the exact application uh, doesn't necessarily follow through to today. And perhaps one of the, the easiest examples of that which is often used is somewhere in the book of Deuteronomy, it's not in our text for today, it talks about building a, a parapet around your roof, which is just a, a fence that would be around uh, the roof of the, the houses which the, the Israelites and folks of the Middle East would have lived in uh, back in the day and indeed still do today. And the reason that was important is because you would, in the evening as the sun set, it was quite pleasurable to be on the roof, it was a lovely temperature, and so people would go out onto the roof, they would hang out there because it was a nice place to be, and so hence you ought to build a fence around your roof so people don't fall off and die. So we, there's no obligation for us to do that today, unless you happen to be hanging out on your roof all the time, but we might apply that in something like put a fence around your pool or something like that. The preservation of life is what that's really getting at. And the, as I say, the thing that I love about the book of Deuteronomy, it shows justice. And perhaps it's, it's worth saying that we have, in large place, the biblical worldview on one side, and then alternate worldviews on the other side. And I'm going to pick particularly on, on atheism, because partly that's a lot of what we have in Australia, and also because it illustrates the example well. So I'm going to make this statement to start off with, and in your heads, I want, to think, I want you to think about if the, the worldview which I'm standing on allows me to justify the statement that I'm making. And the statement is this. It is a, a moral imperative. It is something that you absolutely have to do, that you love your neighbor, and you don't kill them. Sounds like a pretty simple statement. I'm sure most of us would agree with that. But over here on the, on the biblical worldview, what are, we, what are we built upon? What is our foundation? We have a God who created all things, leaving aside for the moment the issue of how long that took. But we have a, a God that created all things. He directed and ordered the whole of creation, building it up, he gives us this standard of justice which we are to pursue in society because he himself is that standard of justice. He is holy, he is good, and so these laws which issue from him are expressions of that justice. So that's what we stand upon over here. Over here, and I'm borrowing this shamelessly from one of my favorite preachers, by the way. Um, over here on the, the atheistic worldview, what do we have? We have a, a world which came into existence, perhaps through a, a Big Bang or some other sort of uh, theory. And there was this, this whole unguided process whereby over a, a very long, protracted period of time, eventually we evolved and evolved and evolved and came to the point where we are here today, where we have these wonderful things that we call homo sapiens, and we do stuff in society. So with that, with that as my foundation, can I make the statement, it's a moral imperative for me to love my neighbor and not to kill them? I'm going to say to you, no, I can't make that statement. I can, I can think that personally. It can be my personal opinion. But there is no moral imperative for everybody to love their neighbor and not to kill them or harm them in some way. 
It's only justifiable on the Christian worldview. And so that's perhaps a, a broad and obvious one. I've hit the highlight, as it were. I've picked the plum. It's a moral imperative for me to love you and not to kill you. But all of these further applications that we see throughout the book of Deuteronomy stand on that same worldview and hence, once again, are applicable for us today. So I want to pray briefly and then I'll I'll read through uh, at least part of our text. Lord, bless our study of your word today. May it be food for our souls. May it change us. I pray that you would get uh, me out of the way, Lord, and, and once again that your people would just be fed by your word. Though your word is something which we contemplate often, may it uh, strike us afresh today by your spirit. May you, uh, may you bless your church. And I pray that it would change us here And later on, Lord, uh, if in your providence folks would hear this podcast, I pray that they too would be blessed and that your word would work mightily through them. In Jesus' name, amen. So Deuteronomy, with that as introduction, and I'll I'll try and skip through things a little quicker now. Uh, But Deuteronomy chapter 23, I'm going to read just from verses 15 uh, to the end of the chapter. Um, As I mentioned, we'll go through a few bits of 24 later, but I'll, I'll just read that as introduction. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You should be careful to do what has passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. My uh, method, I guess you'd say, of preaching is really very simple. I'll, I'll tend to read a verse or two. This is what it says. This is what it means. This is how we apply it, uh, and then move on. In some ways it's very uh, simple, which perhaps says something about me, but uh, hopefully it's easy to follow. So 23 verses 15 and 16 says, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. So these verses... uh, I would put to you, don't refer to an Israelite slave, 
but rather someone who has escaped from one of the surrounding nations, uh, perhaps out of a, a situation of injustice, or perhaps uh, just in order to, to know uh, Israel's God, indeed our God, uh, in a closer way. Perhaps, who knows, by one means or another they've heard about this God, Yahweh, and they've, they've come to know him closer. I think that's evidenced by the fact that the verses say, he shall dwell with you in your midst, i.e. that this person uh, was not amongst the people prior to having escaped from their slave master. But the point, uh, as I said, moving through things quickly, uh, is that when people flee from a truly distressing situation and or to know our God, we are to love, house, and bless them. Or put short like this, treat those fleeing from danger to our safety with loving care, both practically and spiritually. And in uh, timely application of that today, uh, and I must admit I hadn't thought of this relatively obvious uh, application until Tom's message last week, but we have uh, people in the, in the Ukraine-Russia conflict today who have uh, fled from their countries, from places where they are in danger, uh, and now uh, even with this uh, gentleman that's been mentioned, was it Charlie, I think? Charlie in, in Poland has been, been helping folks and, and housing them and, and blessing them. That's a Whilst they haven't necessarily escaped from a, a slave master, nonetheless the, the principle of having escaped from a place of distress and difficulty to a place of refuge uh, is, is the same basic foundational principle and hence is applicable. But in a more uh, broad sense, churches, people of God, ought to take in those who flee uh, both physically and spiritually uh, in as much as they are able, in order to bless them, in order to house them, in order to, to love them. Because God places ultimately a high value upon life, upon human life. Uh, they, we are his special creatures. Verses 17 and 18. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. As I mentioned, I think that the, the book of Deuteronomy is a, in one sense, a, a series of applications of the Ten Commandments. And I think a few things are in view here, being the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself any graven image, or you shall have no idols. Uh, and perhaps most obviously, the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, obviously, if a person was pursuing cult prostitution, be they male or female, they have gone to the, the house of another god. They have sought other gods in the presence of Yahweh. And hence they are in, in breach of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Um, by the same application, really, you shall make no graven image. You shall not have any idols. Even if this person thought by some debased way of thinking that they were serving God in this, they have made an idol, one which is not really God, not really the God of Scripture revealed by, 
by the books of Moses, but some idol which is different from that. And hence they have made for themselves an idol and thinking that they are serving uh, this idol, they are in breach of the second commandment. And the seventh, uh, I'm not sure that I need to explain, you shall not commit adultery unless uh, sex is within the, the bounds of marriage, unless it is pursued in that, that covenant relationship, it is adultery. And certainly uh, to be using prostitution is a form of adultery. But God counts the wages uh, from this as heinous, disgusting, and sinful acts. He counts it as an abomination against him. And hence these wages ought not to be used in payment of any vow. And by uh, an application that, that may be more applicable to us, if you think of any wages which are earned from things which are in breach of what God says in his word, these are things which should not be, well, should not be earned for a start and certainly shouldn't be used in the, the payment of a vow of a, of a covenant between two parties. And the next section I've entitled Loans and Pledges. And it goes from uh, chapter 23, 19 to 20, and then moving into chapter 24, uh, 10 to 13. But if you're reading along, I'll announce that. So chapter 23, 19 to 20. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And into chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You shall stand outside and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. And if he is a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. So in broad sum, you could say the teaching on loans and pledges has to do with the treating of your neighbor and treating them well. Love your neighbor as yourself, as the, uh, the second tablet of the law is summed up by. We see here also the extra value that is to be put on relationships within the covenant community. Now, at, at this time, at the, the time of the writing of the book of Deuteronomy, that being uh, national Israel and religious converts into uh, the religion of Yahweh, uh, and now the people within the covenant community being believers in Christ, those who are Christian. But we, while certainly not spurning the world and disregarding them, are to have a special regard for the relationship that we have with one another, an extra step uh, or two of care in, in love, in service, practically, spiritually, uh, of one another. The scenario of, of chapter 23 is that one party has lent another party some form of capital, not necessarily money, uh, but certainly money is included. And God is saying that if you are the lender, you are not to exact or take or charge interest from the borrower if they are a person within this covenant community. 
Now, what does this, what does this promote? This promotes thoughts of, of generosity, of care, and love for one's neighbor, especially the poor, the needy, and the vulnerable. And it rallies against greediness, covetousness, selfishness, and the devaluing of your neighbor's humanity. The reason why I think that devaluing of your neighbor's humanity is, is a thing is because all of us, Christian, non-Christian, uh, poor, rich, whatever, in between, are made in the image of God. All people are, are made in, in the Imago Dei, the image of God. And if your neighbor is seen simply as a means of increasing your personal wealth, then you're not really treating them as a person made in the image of God. You're treating them as a, a tool, a means of producing things for you. And so hence, we're not to uh, simply see the, you know, we've, we've lent money to somebody else or we've lent some form of something to, to another person. We're not to charge interest on them simply as a means of increasing our personal wealth, but rather we're to treat them with generosity, with love, with care, not just as a, a thing to make us wealthy, uh, but as a person made in the image of God. And the scenario of chapter 24 is that a loan has been made to a person and a pledge or some form of collateral has been given as an assurance of the loan to be repaid. It's not at all a dissimilar principle to, the, uh, to what banks do when loaning money. They might say, all right, we're, we're willing to loan you this amount, but I see you also have a, uh, a house and a car and whatever else that you already own. We have something which, if you default on this amount, we can just sell that because we've got this collateral. So hence, we're willing to loan you more money. Pledges on loans uh, in the Old Covenant context were not to be taken by force or under coercion. And if a person was poor and had given something vital for their life to you as their pledge, such as the cloak which they slept in, this was to be returned to them when most needed. Once again, this taught the Israelites to value the life and the well-being of their neighbor. I love how God's word is, is not just spiritual. It is that, but it is also intensely practical. Tracy and I have been blessed over the last extended period. We go through a verse or two of the book of Proverbs before we go to bed. And whilst, again, there's, there are spiritual things within the book of Proverbs, so much of it is just directly practical advice or practical commands into our everyday life. And I love that about uh, even things like this. You're not to, to go in and take this pledge by force. You're to value the life of your neighbor. You're to love them. You're to bless them. Treat them with generosity. <laughs> And so the two points that I draw from uh, those verses are to treat those within the covenant community with an extra portion of spirit-born love, generosity, and as fellow image bearers of God, and to treat the needy and vulnerable with mercy, especially those within the covenant community. Chapter 3, verses 21 to 23 say, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You should be careful to do what has passed your lips, 
for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Now, vowing in this culture um, was a, a big deal, and it was a big deal because God made a big deal out of it. In the book of Numbers, chapter 30, verse 2 says, If a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And in Leviticus 19.12, it says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so primarily two, but by extension three commandments are in view here. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not blaspheme. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And by extension, you shall not make for yourself any graven image, or you shall have no idols. The third and the ninth commandment, because the, the inverse of all the commandments are also true. So if we're commanded not to lie, the inverse of that is that we are commanded to tell the truth. And so, hence to say you are going to do something, and to even emphasize this with an oath, a sacred and binding vow to God, would make you a dishonorable, sinful, and blasphemous liar if you didn't keep your word. And the second commandment, to, to not make any idols, is because to make a vow to any other apart from God is to, in effect, make an idol of that thing which you are vowing to. It is to place them in a position higher than God, therefore making an idol. And I have some more material there, but uh, to summarize it in short form, Jesus, uh, in, in the book of Matthew and also uh, in the book of James, it speaks about basically just having your yes be yes and your no to be no. And it uh, speaks about various, you know, not swearing to heaven or to the earth or to Jerusalem or to your head, uh, because these are all, you have no control over these things. And the, I don't think, and many others with me, don't think that this is a, a universal condemnation of making vows, but rather it is a, a condemnation of flippantly making vows or of uh, making idols out of things, essentially, out of, out of thinking that there's some hierarchy of if I, if I swear by Jerusalem, it's okay, or if I swear by my head, it's okay, but not, I won't swear by God because that, that might be a little bit too serious. When making a, a decision on on a particular theological point, we need to take in the whole of Scripture. What does the whole of Scripture say about that thing? And so if we were to take uh, Jesus' commands in the book of Matthew or what James says uh, in isolation from the rest of Scripture, we could come up with the conclusion that we can only say yes or no. We can only say, yes, I'll do that, or no, I won't. But when we take the, the whole of Scripture into picture, we can see even from what we looked at in the book of Deuteronomy that vows in the name of God uh, have been taken uh, in the past. And indeed, uh, those who are married will know that they've taken vows in the presence of God uh, to be continued throughout their married life. So vows continue to be made. But the point of it is this, 
that we are to value what we say and we are to, to hold our word as sacred because ultimately whether we bind something with a vow or whether we simply say a statement it's made in the presence of God so it should be treated uh, with the utmost care so treat your word as binding be a person of your word if you do take an oath you shall not delay fulfilling it for the Lord your God will surely require it of you The last couple of verses, taking from your neighbor's produce. In verses 24 and 25, it says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. And then in uh, chapter 24, verses 19 to 22, says when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field you shall not go back to get it it shall be for the sojourner the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands when you beat your olive trees you shall not go over them again it shall be for the sojourner the fatherless and the widow when you gather the grapes of your vineyard you shall not strip it afterward it shall be, once again, for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. In a society that is primarily agricultural, to be taking uh, your neighbor's produce, and you know, grapes and grain are mentioned there, but you know, any form of produce is really what's in, in view. But to be taking your neighbor's produce is essentially to be taking his income. And so, again, the, the principle of valuing human life is in view here. You know, God is saying it's okay to, to feed yourself, to take a little in order to fill your stomach, in order to sustain your life. But what he's saying is don't take advantage of that. Don't, don't go further than, than the mark. It's as if we uh, had a, uh, a potluck or whatever you might call it uh, type lunch as we did a few weeks ago at Jan's. And uh, perhaps I then turn up and instead of taking just my, my polite plate full, I just launch off with a couple of the whole platters. That would be perhaps a slightly comical and rude application of what's in view here. But of course, you know, come along, eat, be satisfied, be, uh, enjoy what, uh, what you've been fed, but don't, don't overstep the mark. And really this is a... Uh, perhaps some of the undergirding of what we see in the early chapters of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 47, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And I love how that ends, that they, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They lived in this community among one another where they were so in love with God and so subsequently in love with one another that they were willing to, uh, other sections in the, uh, the book of Acts say, they even sold property in order to supply the needs of their neighbor. 
So the verses from uh, both chapters in Deuteronomy essentially have the same principle behind them, being to treat the life and well-being of your neighbours with high regard. And so to conclude, my conclusions are, are famously unimaginative. I pretty much just repeat the points that I made in the, uh, the body. So a five-point sermon you, you had today. Firstly, Treat those fleeing from danger to our safety with loving care, practically and spiritually. Secondly, treat those within the covenant community with an extra portion of spirit-born love, generosity, and as fellow image bearers of God. Thirdly, treat the needy and vulnerable with mercy, once again, especially those within the covenant community. Fourthly, to treat your word as binding, to be a person of your word. And if you do take an oath, you shall not uh, delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Fifthly and lastly, treat the life and well-being of your neighbours with high regard. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for... Uh, the whole of your word, but certainly for the section that we've looked at from uh, the book of Deuteronomy today. I pray that we would recognize, uh, of course, the, the theological, spiritual depth of your word, but also that we would see how it applies uh, so clearly in every day of our lives and to the, the practical acts and the attitudes that we ought to have uh, toward one another every day. I pray that these things would impact us and that for us as a a smaller group in a, a community that we would put these things into place of valuing the life of one another, of supplying for one another's needs, and of doing these things with joy in our hearts. And I pray that that would be, uh, that that would have a snowball effect and that that would also uh, be very impressionable to the onlooking world. I pray that you would, uh, to your glory, draw many to yourself uh, through us and through other bodies doing the same. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.